Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I am pleased to present Gavin Ralston and Keith Wade. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you very much. Uh, hello and welcome from me to this week's Investor Insights call and podcast. This is Gavin Ralston. I'm delighted to have with me today our Chief Economist, Keith Wade. Uh, Keith is fresh from a trip to China, undoubtedly one of the subjects we'll be addressing in a moment. But if we look at markets since the last call, uh, they've been sending a pretty decisive signal about the world economy over the last week or so. This has been most dramatic in the bond market where yields have fallen sharply in the U.S., uh, 10-year yields are now 285, uh, which is down about 35 basis points in the last month. Uh, government bond yields in the rest of the world, even in Italy, have made similar moves. Conversely, equity markets everywhere have fallen. Uh, the trigger in the recent past was the arrest in Canada last week of the CFO of Huawei, the Chinese telecoms company, which was interpreted as a deliberate escalation of the trade war. Uh, so in, in market terms, uh, the S&P has now fallen 4.5% since the end of November. Uh, large cap U.S. stocks, at least in price terms, are now down a couple of percent since the start of the year. Uh, so taking these, these two phenomena in bonds and equity markets together, uh, the moves are clearly signaling much weaker growth in 2019 and beyond. And there was some sign of this in the monthly U.S. employment report released on Friday, where the payroll number was rather weaker than expected, although there was no sign yet, at least, of an easing in inflationary pressure. Um, actually, most other markets have been less badly hit in the recent past than the U.S. Uh, China and Europe were down a couple of percent, and the dollar has been pretty stable uh, over the last few days. Keith, you, you last appeared on this call uh, four weeks ago when there was still a lot of optimism out there about U.S. growth in 2019, and you were out on a limb forecasting a slowdown in 2019 and, and 2020. Uh, the slowdown now seems to become, to judge from market movements, conventional wisdom. Mm -hmm. do, do you think there's a danger that markets have gone too far the, the other way? Well, yes, there has been a really significant move, as, as you highlighted uh, in your introduction. And uh, there is much more concern now about global growth than there was a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and for us, it's been a rather interesting experience because um, we, we were sort of portrayed as being quite dovish about rates and, and the outlook for growth. Uh, and now, um, by saying that interest rates will rise to 3% next year, that's seen as relatively hawkish. So things have, have moved an awful long way. Uh, have, they, have they gone too far? Well, <clears throat> I think we have to remember that the level of the indicators, um, the PMIs, for example, is still actually reasonably healthy. I mean, they have come off from very high levels. Um, but in some ways, that's probably not surprising, and that, that is quite a good thing. But certainly the levels are still predicting uh, and consistent with, with steady GDP growth. They're not predicting a recession. Uh, and if you look at things like the ISM index, actually, that's actually been quite strong. But the payroll growth is gradually moderating. Uh, but even there, it's not too bad. I mean, I, I'm hearing a lot of talk now about recession, um, and I think that probably is going too far. Um, I think that if there is a recession risk, it's more of a 2020 story. But for the moment, it's a gradual slowdown it's, rather than a precipitous. That's right. It's a gradual slowdown. And I think we have to remember a couple of things. One is that you know, fiscal policy is still stimulative in the U.S. and will be stimulative in the first half of next year. 
Um, so that will continue to support economic activity. The other uh, factor, of course, is uh, the oil price has fallen back. And that will, by bringing down inflation, will actually provide a little bit of support as well to the consumer. So there are some, some factors that can keep growth going. So my sense is that things you know, might have moved a bit too far. The difficulty is, I think, for markets, though, is that we're probably not going to see much sign of stabilization in those indicators just yet. And, and how does the Fed react to all this? Well, the, the Fed has now signaled that it's kind of moved away from what you might call autopilot, where it was just sort of raising rates, you know, every, every quarter, 25 basis points. And now they've become more data dependent. So, you know, the, the Fed now are in a position where they could pause and they could stop if the data was sufficiently weak to justify that. Um, there could be some risk of that in the first quarter of next year because the data naturally tends to be quite weak during that period. Uh, and whilst that's something that people could say, oh, well, it's because of seasonal adjustment problems and we understand that that, that happens every year, it's still always quite difficult to be sure as to whether or not there's a genuine slowdown going on or not. But you know, my view is that the Fed has still got to balance uh, an economy that is a, above trend, it's had a very long expansion, uh, capacity is pretty strained in the labor market, um, and I think they, they will not just sort of say, right, we're not going to raise rates anymore. I think they will still continue to move rates up, 25 basis points, December, March, and June, to, and get rates to 3% uh, before they really signal a pause. So it sounds like we might have quite a difficult environment where the, the growth numbers are, are gently coming off, but at the same time, interest rates are still rising and there's no sign of the Fed slackening at least in the short term. That's right. I mean, because I, I think the Fed actually want to get rates above neutral. And one of the things we have learned in the last few weeks is, you know, when Jerome Powell spoke and said that the interest rate from the Fed was quite close to neutral at the moment, you know, that I think indicates that, yeah, they can raise rates a little bit more and then they can say, yeah, interest rates are tight. We've done enough. And then they can step back. Now, you know, with the recent data coming out, if it did deteriorate a lot more, um, the Fed have indicated that they are paying attention to what's going on in emerging markets and financial markets. So it's possible that uh, if equity markets did, did weaken considerably, the Fed could step back and say, okay, we might, we might pause a little bit earlier than that. So I think there is some scope for them to be, you know, a little bit easier perhaps than they were before. Okay, so you mentioned emerging markets, and, and uh, you were, as I said, in China last week. Can you tell us a bit more about the perception there of the trade disputes and how it might get resolved? So there was a lot of concern about that, and um, certainly concern about the impact on growth. Uh, and they're very familiar with the, the numbers in terms of the importance of the U.S. market to Chinese exporters, uh, and, and that slowing down that growth is going to have a material impact on the economy. So so that was one thing everybody was clear about. Um, and there was some relief that there was the 90 days of talks coming, although not a lot of optimism about the outcome. And the reason why there wasn't a lot of optimism was really because um, people weren't really sure what Donald Trump wanted. Um, it would seem that um, if this was just a dispute over the, the bilateral deficit uh, that the U.S. has with China, that could be quite easily resolved by China just buying more goods, more aircraft or uh, agricultural equipment or even um, uh, liquid um, gas. Um, that doesn't seem to be 
the solution. And so the solution means they've got to find something on intellectual property, which again, people felt, you know, they could probably do that. They could try and respect that more because as China tries to increase its own technological capability, it needs to have a framework to protect intellectual property in China. Um, so there is a recognition that actually this, this you know, there, there is a need for this. Um, but I think then it goes even further because people say, okay, well, we might do all that, but we, the US could still be um, having a dispute with us because actually the ultimate aim of the Trump administration is to contain China's growth and stop China becoming a real competitor to the US. So, so there's sort of gradual different schools of thought there, but I think there was quite a strong view that actually this might be a very, very prolonged dispute and uh, lots of uncertainty about what the real aims of um, the Trump administration are. And in the meantime, the, the Chinese economy is clearly slowing. Yeah. I mean, one, of, one of the positions you've taken over the last couple of months is that the RMB, the Chinese currency, is likely to fall below seven to the dollar. Is, is that still your forecast? Yes, it is. Um, I, mean, I know it's stabilized a little bit recently, but we still think it will weaken because I think what you, the way to look at China is that there is a, a structural slowdown going on. Um, the economy is trying to deleverage. And uh, what they're really trying to do is rebalance growth more towards the consumer side. The, the problem they face, of course, is now they've got this extra external constraint as a result of the trade wars. So um, there's a combination of things going on. So weaker credit growth as part of the deleveraging story, that's having an impact in the housing market. Um, tighter control over, over CapEx, um, you know, worrying about excess capacity and the impact that's having in terms of non-performing loans. So they're trying to address those issues. They've probably had to, to row back a little bit on that. Um, and then, of course, the trade side, which I think we're still going to see more impact on on exports coming through. And is the, is, is the trade war, obviously, it's a huge political issue, but is, is it having an impact on companies and businesses? And is, is the uncertainty stopping investment? It seems to be. And this, this is actually something that's happening uh, not just in China, but in the US. And uh, this is something that I know that some of our fund managers are picking up more anecdotally. Mm -hmm. they, and, and CapEx has been disappointing recently in, in the US. The business capex numbers were very weak in the third quarter, and there isn't a lot of signs that they've really revived. And that is still quite surprising, you know, because you would expect at this stage of the cycle capex would be would be quite strong. So it seems that the trade war might be actually having a, an initial impact on that side. In terms of the actual numbers, U.S. exports to China have really fallen off now. They're down 30% year on year, so quite a big hit. Uh, Chinese exports to the U.S. are slowing down, but not as fast as that. Right. And I think one thing that we, mm -hmm. we have to realize is that although the exposure of the U.S. to China in terms of exports is less, China can move very quickly. I mean, the Chinese authorities can really sort of indicate to the SOEs that it's not a good idea to be buying U.S. exports, and they will react immediately. Cool. Whereas you don't have, Trump doesn't have that control over the U.S. economy. And, and where does all this leave the dollar? Because the scenario in 2018 has been that the U.S. has been much stronger than other economies. Yeah. There's been a clear yeah. upwards move in, in U.S. interest rates, and therefore the dollar has risen, I think, by roughly 5% against other currencies. If the U.S. is now starting to weaken, does that, does that still mean a weaker dollar is in your forecast for next year? Yeah, I think it does, and, 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 that's, and that's an important call for us, that uh, signs that the Fed tightening cycle is coming to an end, 
I think should be sufficient to make people uh, begin to believe that the dollar is peaking. Um, you know, my view has always been that currencies will tend to overshoot and the dollar's moved up a lot in trade-weighted terms. So it moves up to a level at which people think it will depreciate. Part of the story, though, is that the ECB uh, will end quantitative easing um, and we expect them to confirm that later on uh, this week when they have their meeting. That's important. And, of course, there are some risks around that, not least maybe a hard Brexit in the UK or more concerns in Italy. We might talk about that later. So that's part of the story. And the other part of the story is that Japan signals another small tightening in yield curve control and allows the 10-year bond yield um, to go up to, say, 20 basis points rather than 10 basis points. So, so central banks elsewhere moving towards a slightly tighter policy whilst it becomes clear that the U.S. is moving towards a peak. I think that's consistent with a peak in the dollar. Which generally should be positive for the outlook for emerging markets, currencies, equities and bonds next year. Absolutely. And I, I think there has to be a trade-off here, though, between the, um, the trade wars continuing, which I think, you know, is probably still going to weigh on um, some of the more growth-related assets in emerging markets. So emerging market equities might take a little bit longer to respond. But certainly, you know, on the currency front, where we, we find signs that currencies have been pretty sensitive to the Fed, signs that the Fed is going to be uh, ending the tightening cycle could actually lead to a rally in some of those emerging market currencies. And you, you mentioned Europe a moment ago. I mean, I guess the hope uh, for next year is that Europe and maybe also Japan will take up some of the slack mm. in, in world economic growth as the U.S. Uh, stops growing as fast. Is, is there any hope of that? Well, we we've, we have got some growth continuing to come through in Europe. I mean, we're not outright bears, but you know, we did have to downgrade the forecast. And as we've seen, Europe has consistently disappointed on the downside. I find it difficult to see what would drive a really good recovery in 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 Europe to enable Europe to pick up the slack. And uh, you know, if if I felt more confident that Europe might be willing to do a bit, bit of fiscal policy, um, then I would be saying yes, maybe they could pick up some of that. Uh, Japan has actually got the consumption tax going up next year, so I, I don't really think they're very strong contenders. There's scope for a little bit of a bounce back in both those economies. The area which I'm probably most optimistic about in terms of picking up slack is actually probably coming back to China, where I think we could see more of a fiscal package coming through there, um, maybe some more cuts in uh, uh, for the consumer, perhaps in the uh, auto sector, um, and also um, infrastructure spending. So there are rumors that China is preparing a package to support growth, and I think you know, that, that might be one of the positive surprises that we get next year. So is there any justification for the ECB to raise interest rates next year? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think you, you have to look at the level of interest rates relative to the economy. And uh, you know, if you were to do a Taylor rule calculation, you could say that interest rates in Europe should already be about 1%. Because they, you know, they are growing. We have to remember that although the growth is disappointed, They've, they've still managed to grow at a rate that is pretty close to trend or maybe even slightly above because trend growth in Europe is only just over 1%. So although they've disappointed, we have to remember that they are still growing. Core inflation, we'd probably like to see that a little bit higher. But again, you know, that that is holding up around about 1%. So I think they have to get away from this negative interest rate setting that they have. They need to get rates back into positive territory. Um, you know, that's absolutely essential. 
Um, and then um, possibly um, less deliberately to the last, um, Brexit, uh, we've got even greater political uncertainty now than we thought possible even a week ago. Yeah. I'm not going to put you on the spot by asking you for a political prognosis as to what happens next. But, but talk to us a bit about what the uncertainty is doing to the real economy. Yeah, well, well, thank you for not putting me on the spot politically, because I think there are so many different outcomes still. Um, but the, the point that we would make is that this really prolongs the uncertainty in the economy. And there is evidence from surveys that people uh, have become very reluctant to spend or make, make commitments. And that's both businesses and um, households. So CapEx, for example, uh, spending, durable goods spending, auto spending, all those things look pretty flat at the moment. And I think yesterday's events mean that that could continue for longer because people would just say, well, we just haven't got clarity. Uh, it's still quite possible that the UK could crash out without a deal. It's not our central view, but you know, if, you've, if you're in a position where you can say, I could delay this investment in business uh, until you know, the end of March, I may as well do that now rather than make that commitment now. And unfortunately, you know, one of the reasons why the UK economy has lagged since the Brexit vote um, more than two years ago, the reason we've lagged is really because CapEx spending has been has been quite weak. Mm. And I think that will probably spill over into consumer uh, spending as well. So quite a weak period. It will actually uh, put the spotlight back on the Bank of England. Uh, you know, the Bank of England has produced some absolutely dire scenarios for a hard Brexit uh, uh, outcome. Um, I think they may find themselves in a position where they have to cut interest rates in the new year because the data for the period that we're in at the moment, that data will be coming through and um, you know the spotlight will be on them to to do something about it. So I think they might find themselves even having to ease if, if the uncertainty really deepens. So I guess the only crumb of comfort in the UK is that the point that Sue Nofker has made, which is that UK stocks are cheap and a lot of the large companies derive a large proportion of their revenues from outside the UK. So they have some protection, particularly if, if the currency continues to weaken as it has been doing. Well, that's right. And, and UK stocks and the currency is cheap. I mean, purchasing power parity for the pound is somewhere between 140 and 150. Um, so 125 is, is very cheap um, for, for UK sterling. Okay, so we're almost out of time for this week. Let me just pick up a couple of points that Keith has made. One is that we have been for some time anticipating a slowdown, particularly in the US, in 2019 and 2020. Markets have clearly uh, picked up on that now, uh, have priced that in. But it's important not to expect a recession. We're seeing a gradual slowdown in growth mm -hmm. and, and quite a lot of positive influences in US growth continuing in 2019. Keith also talked about the China-US trade war. That still remains a major source of uncertainty. Uh, the Chinese, I think, are finding it difficult to see how they can resolve the situation and are waiting for the US to make a move. Um, and I think there's a parallel to be drawn between the, the uncertainty for businesses created by the trade war, both in the US and in China, and the uncertainty created over Brexit. Uh, and that's having a depressing effect on uh, investment spending in a number of places. So that is all we have time for this week. Um, Keith, thank you once again thank for your you. comments, and we look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thanks. And thank you all for listening. This now concludes our conference call. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.